Welcome to a brand new season of the Ripe Labs podcast. I'm Alan Davies, the Ripe Labs editor, and in the coming months, my colleagues and I will be talking to guests on a whole range of topics relevant to the people who keep the internet running. If this is the first time you're listening in on our podcast and you like what you hear, do go check out the previous episodes here on Ripe Labs and stay tuned for more in the months to come. They were starting to experiment with this internet protocol and um, find out that there are certain things that needed to be coordinated, like who has what IP address. Every network operator is kind of responsible for their own little network. They have no influence on what you're doing in your little network, and so in order to communicate with each other and to send traffic, we need to coordinate that space in between. That's, I think, where VIBE comes in. Around the start of the 90s, a small group of people came together with the purpose of making sure that the numbering system that enables computers to connect and communicate with each other over the internet would remain stable. That was essentially the beginning of the RIPE community, and one of those people was Miriam Kuna, now RIPE chair. This week, with the 85th Wright meeting coming up in just a few days, I had the very great pleasure of sitting down with Miriam to talk about the role that the Wright community plays in today's internet, what principles guide it, and what challenges it currently faces. How did you actually come to be involved with the Wright community in the first place? Yeah, I mean, that has to go way back. And I studied computer science in Berlin at the Technical University. And then I was looking for a job in both the Netherlands and in Germany. And and, and I found this um, on the news groups. There was a thing at, at the time that we're talking like 92, I think, 93. Um, there was, it's been like a forum these days, but there were news groups. And there was a job ad for a junior administrative staff member at the RIPE NCC. Right. <laughs> and I applied and, uh, and I got the job. And then we were still like right I don't know four or five six people at the time and everybody did a bit of everything but I learned a lot in that time about that was kind of the early days of the internet just before the the bubble the big, big commercial internet.com bubble and burst later um, and so it was kind of early days and I learned a lot about networking and technical stuff and um, we were so small at the time but we had right meetings you know started right meeting we went we basically shut the office and went all to the right meeting or to an ITF or mm. I also started then attending ITF meetings there was a time when IPv4 was kind of starting to run out and and we would it's almost like negotiating with the ITF a little bit and there was the CIDR protocol and then IPv6 was developed and, and so we were all paying attention to that. And then with the internet, the RIPE NCC grew as mm. well. And then I started setting up the registration services department and then training team and then communications and so I kind of grew with the with the organization quite quickly and basically managed the whole external relations and all kind of outside facing services in a way. So I really got to know the RIPE community almost from the start. I mean, it started in 1989, the mm-hmm. RIPE community and then NCC started in 92 and I joined quite quickly after that. So there was um, a bit of the, the beginning. Yeah. And then I left at some point after almost 10 years and then did something else. I worked for the Internet Society for a while. I was organizing like... Um, technical trainings for developing countries. That was one of my jobs. And I was collaborating a lot with um, colleagues from the RIRs and from ICANN and and, and, and CCTLDs. I really enjoyed that. And and then I came back. And actually, one other thing I did when I was there was the um, IETF journal. 
which was a really good prim, preamble to the Vibe Labs yeah. um, that I then started doing later <laughs> when I came back to the Vibe NCC, which is what you're doing now. Sure, yeah. So, so yeah, I was out there and building a network with the ITF, with other technical communities, ICANN, the other RERs. And, but somehow my heart was always in, within Vibe, so I was always in touch with old colleagues and, and, and people who were involved in the Vibe community. And then, yeah, and then fast forward, like two years ago, in September 2020, I was selected Vibe Chair. And that was right in the middle of the pandemic. But yeah, so I'm doing this since um, yeah, almost uh, two years, pretty much, together with Neil O'Reilly, who is the right vice chair and great support. Couldn't do it without him. For those who might not know, um, can you give us an overview of what the right community is? And I'm thinking in terms of you know, how it operates, how decisions get made in that community, uh, and how those decisions then shape the internet. So again, maybe a little bit into history. I mean, it started in 1989, where like just a bunch of mostly they weren't even network engineers they were like physicists and other scientists they wanted to share their results and their studies and um they they found out about this internet protocol and what then later became the internet and wanted to try it out and it was just a handful of european they were mostly from academic institutions universities a bit of somebody in cern they were starting to experiment with this internet protocol and um, found out that there are certain things that needed to be coordinated in order to make the bits flow in order yeah. to traffic flow and to communicate like who has what IP address for instance or how you set up the routing and how do you find each other if something goes wrong and so they were um, at the time starting to build what's now the RIPE database, for instance, to, to register who has what IP address and who's, you know, what contact information, um, how they can call each other if things break. And they were starting to organize um, meetings and mailing lists and all on a voluntary basis. So it's like from the beginning, there was a lot of um, collaboration and, and coordination going on with mm -hmm. the shared goal to basically use that internet protocol to share information and and to make sure it works in a stable way and they kind of had this common goal to promote um, promote IP and then it started growing over the years and then you know, the internet became a thing and everybody was using it but that's that initial spirit I think it's still there even today that mm. things are um, based on consensus we don't do voting very rarely only when it's about in individual roles like some yeah. person, like, in, like humans you know that's really hard to do mm. consensus but all other decisions are made by consensus and that's harder than it sounds you know it's not just like voting is easy right you just count the hands whereas consensus is really you have to build it and have to make sure everybody goes along and you find a solution that works for everybody yeah um and and, and this whole volunteer effort also most of the roles in the web community are done by or filled by volunteers next to their day jobs i mean obviously they get supported by their employers but they come there almost as individuals and in order to make sure um yeah, the coordination works between the networks. I mean, when I started, somebody explained it to me in, in a way that every network operator is kind of responsible for their own little network. Okay. They don't. They have no influence on in what you're doing in your little network. And so, in order to communicate with each other and to send traffic and to send our customers traffic over, we need to coordinate that space in between. I need to know what you accept from me and what I can expect from you and what you're sending over, and need to register that in a database and set up BGP, so then that, that's kind of that space in between our networks. That's, I think, where VIPE comes in and where the coordination happens. Who are some of the other figures that, you know, you were working with at the time who have helped 
to build this community. And, and At the beginning, mm -hmm. I mean, one obviously the the key figure and also one of my kind of um, mentors over the years was um, the first chair of the Ripe community. Yep. It was Bro Rob Blockzile, yeah. who unfortunately passed away a few years um, mm -hmm. ago. But he was, and, and I think still people um, respect him and remember him. And sometimes you hear people like, what would Rob say? Or, you know, yeah, yeah. He had these mantras, for instance, of I like, keep things simple, you know, and, and, and our principles today even like be open to everybody. And transparency is really important. And uh, that comes a lot from, not only from Rob, but this whole um, initial, like, you know, the pilot, the, the, yeah. the initial RIPE community members. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be too much to mention them all. I mean, and I, I don't know if we get back, back to that, but what I found fascinating also is people that are involved today, it's still like kind of the first generation of those yeah. people who built the internet, which is fascinating because they are, this expertise and this history that they have and, mm. and, and the experience they have, um, it's really good. And we should like, shepherd this and, and, and record it, you know, also. And I know you're doing this in your podcast. You're also talking to others, of course. Um, and But on the other hand, it's also a bit scary because, you know, they're starting to get retired, do something yes. else, you know. So we need to really hand things over to the next generation, if you will. You know? And I, I, I mean, I count myself as one of the old generation, you know, like starting at the RIPE NCC in, in 93. I mean, that's a long time ago. Um, and, and so we're doing a lot of efforts in the RIPE community also to reach out to the next generation. This is a question that sort of came up when I was thinking about what we could talk about today. You know, you've got 12, I think it's 12. 13. Working groups? Yeah, <laughs> 13 working groups uh, currently active. Yes. Uh, and there's a real sort of spread of topics there. So you've got, you know, uh, working groups looking at the right database and an address policy all the way over to working groups looking at, you know, IoT and anti-abuse. And so with that spread of topics, the question that, that came to my mind is, what's the scope of mm. this community? And if there are kind of core topics that are really their domain proper, how does it retain like authority over those topics and decisions that get made in those areas? Right. No, you're right. I mean, and, and what I said earlier, the, how it started was um, uh, mostly to do with IP addressing and, and routing. And, and, and um, I don't know exactly what the first working group was in right. Actually, that's an interesting yeah. point. I just looked that up. But obviously, the addressing or address policy working group and routing working group and the database working group, I think maybe that was the first. They were like kind of core to the coordination tasks that I described earlier, right? So you needed to know who has what IP address, how does it get registered, mm. where is it registered, um, all the information obviously is publicly accessible and how is the routing done and, and, and how to coordinate that and that we all use the same protocol and to make sure it, um, it, it's, um, you know, the, the networks can co communicate with each other. But then over time, you know, as you say, you know, the network changed around us and, um, yeah. and so the initial scope, and you can still read this, and from time to time I'm reading the RIPE document number one, make sure we're still um, on, you know, on track. Yeah. And it says in there, I think the main mission is to expand the pan-European wide area networks. And, you know, we probably would define it a little differently these days. I mean, first of all, 
is talking about Europe. Now, the region that RIPE covers is a lot bigger than, than Europe. But also, like, in you know, a wide area networks, you know, there was a thing at the time. And nowadays, we have, of course, a lot of enterprises. We have content providers. We have um, service providers. So it's a, it's a, the scope has widened. Um, um, you know, also people are participating. But I think the main core still is, like, network operations and how to keep the technical infrastructure or the networking infrastructure stable and secure and I mean there are new protocols who came up like TLS or RPKI you know that make the network more secure and so there was additional topics there yeah, all the way to like IoT as you mentioned you know mm. where um, that's of course also you know these devices use IP so that needs to be coordinated and make sure they don't break anything and and we have topics like like open source you know people find interesting and relevant to promote and that's why the working group was formed but I think the challenge that we have sometimes or that we have to find a, a good balance is to kind of stick with our scope and our mission and don't you know take over other areas while at the same time we need to stay open and flexible to new developments you know we can't just say oh we'll we'll just deal with whatever protocol was relevant in 1993 you know yeah. the world has changed internet has changed so we need to stay on top of things and also need to be remain open to to new developments maybe there's a new routing protocol coming along or you know we're also working quite closely with the ITF and we have people participating in the ITF so make sure we don't miss out on um, you know, things that operators need to be aware of. In an article from 2021, Chris Buckridge um, lists what a set of right principles might look like. What would a list of right principles maybe look like for you? What would be some mm. of the things you'd highlight there? Well, I, I guess there are two parts to that. I mean, we have our own, or do you think, you know, the right community um, has certain principles that we work with, like almost like internally. For instance, mm. openness and transparent, and and you know, you know, relevant and this whole coordination and collaboration that I mentioned earlier. That's kind of the way of working. Um, that's probably not what you mean, but I think that's also really relevant. And we started to document our own governance a bit more, that okay. so that it's also clear to the outside. What is right? What do we do? How do we operate? What are our ethics in our, in our internal principles? And that we also can hold each other to, to that, right? Um, and that goes beyond having a code of conduct. I think that is really more of a way of working and a way, you know, way of dealing with each other. Mm -hmm. But I think you're talking more principles about, I don't know, a stable internet, an unfragmented internet, a... Um, yes. Um, decentralized internet, yeah. things like that, right? But we probably all like, feel natural. It's like natural to us. That's how we, you know, learn. That's how the internet um, works, and that's how the ripe community um, built the internet, if you will. Right? Not only the ripe community, but the network operators. Um, would it be useful to f agree on that and uh, as a community and formula formalize that a bit more? Yeah. That might be useful, especially not only not necessarily for ourselves, because we probably all go like, yeah, of course, norm, of course, mm. normal way. Right? But I think it might be useful for um, looking at us from the outside, like for other stakeholders, like governments or regulators or law enforcement or the ITU or even other technical communities. Go like, what's the right? What does the right community do? What do we stand for? And if you even go a step further and could agree that with other technical organizations they probably all follow the same principles we just never kind of written it down or we yeah. don't agree i think okay. yes that might be um that might be useful and the work you know moving forward to ensuring that the internet stays the way we know and love it okay so it's, it's kind of like it's intrinsic 
yeah. to the way the community works, it's yeah. intrinsic to the way the internet works. I mean, for instance, if you look at um, like the pandemic, right? I mean, everybody is saying, like, okay, the, it was just nobody even stopped and blinked and, you know, I mean, if you look at it, it's quite amazing. The internet just kind of kept running, you know, mm. we, we had difficulties maybe buying food or toilet paper in the supermarkets were running out, but the internet just kept running to the to most parts. I mean, mm. and if there was a, a disruption, you know, the internet kind of rooted around it or the internet, I mean, network operators made sure um, that, that it all works. And I think the way the internet works also reflects the way the community works, I think, and the other way around. I mean, there was so much collaboration, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, where um, we were on lockdown, couldn't go out, maybe people couldn't reach their data centers. And and quite quickly, operators would, call, would you know, work each other, you know, work out communication channels, would kind of call each other, say, hey, I'm going to the data center, is there anything I can do for you there? Mm. Even though, don't forget, they're competitors with each other. Yeah. You know, why would you do that to with the, you help out the competitor? Because they know that the internet, you know, that they only have control over their own network, what I said earlier. So they need to, they need this collaboration to make these networks all connect to each other and to have the internet work. And I think that's what you say, it's intrinsic to the way we work as a community, this way of sharing knowledge with each other and not holding back and being, you know, open and transparent and, and, and collaborative. And I think that's also what's reflected in the way the internet has been built and these mm -hmm. like network of networks that all kind of work with each other. So the RIPE NCC is the secretariat for the RIPE community. How do how does the work being done in that particular organization contribute to the good of the internet? Mm. I think the NCC does tremendous um, work also in the way um, how it helps to keep track of developments in the in. in in the internet sphere, if you will, in all the multi, in all the different parts of the internet, like, for instance, the whole area of um, reaching out to governments and law enforcement and regulators, and and keeping track of um, new directives and and proposals, you know, in, in, even in the EU sphere, but let alone, you know, the RIPE covers seventy six countries, you know, and the RIPE NCC has members in like over, you know, seventy countries, seventy six mm -hmm. countries as well. Um, I think that's a tremendous service that the RIPE NCC does there and keeping track of those developments and not only keeping track of it, but also promoting these principles we just spoke about to governments, for instance, and make sure they understand how and, and how, how this network of networks works. And also communicates that back to the RIPE community. Like if there is a if there's a new directive, I mean, there was one example um, recently, the NIST2 directive, mm -hmm. where the EU wants to make the network more secure. That's fine, but there were some clauses in there that would really have had an impact on certain network operations. And RIPE NCC kind of did a great job in in bridging that, you know, going back to the community, expanding what the commission is trying to do, going then back to the commission, you know, telling them what the impact would be. And, and that's a great service. I mean, if all the imp uh, operators would have to do that individually, there would be just a huge amount of work. And that's one area. I think when you ask for the uh, good of the internet, I know the NCC also has this NCC Community Project Fund. It's explicitly funding um, like mostly open source projects. That's also really a good project. And what you said also about the, you know, the, one of the core activities of the RIPE NCC as the secretariat for the RIPE community. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I talk about the RIPE community, it's all volunteers. I mean, yeah, but we can only do this because we have the RIPE NCC in the back organizing our meetings, running the mailing list, you know, everything that started as a grassroots or, you know, as a volunteer um, activity, the RIPE NCC is picked up and is providing as a stable service. 
paid by its members. And it's often hard for people to understand that difference between RIPE and the RIPE NCC, and we keep explaining, and and sometimes you go, like, you know, don't bother, you know. But I still think it's worth explaining the difference, and I think the relation between or the, the way the RIPE and the RIPE NCC has set up, has been set up, it's just brilliant, and it really works well. I was also thinking about things like RIPE Atlas and how maybe that goes a little bit back to that question of scope again. Okay. Because when you start providing yes. services like that, it's, yes. it's another thing beyond maintaining that registry. That's Absolutely, yes. No, you're right. The RIPE NCC is often known for its role as the, RIPE, uh, the Regional Internet Registry and the IP distribution center, if you will. But it, because it has the... Yeah, for various reasons, I guess, because it, it has already earned the trust of the community from mm. early on and it's a neutral you know, neutral place. It, it has, it can afford to do certain projects like RIPE Atlas, for instance, because we trust the RIPE NCC with the data. You know, RIPE Atlas, the routing information service, and, you know, RIPE Stat. That's because we trust that the RIPE NCC just makes the data available and has the resources to, to build this, in, in the case of Atlas, this worldwide measurements network. Yeah. Um, and that's tremendously important also as it's good for the internet. Not only the RIPE community, I think the internet as a whole yeah, needs the RIPE NCC to mm. be stable and provide these services, not only to its members, but to the wider community. And it's always from the start, I think the RIPE NCC has done a great job in in providing services to the whole internet. You don't have to pay to get a RIPE Atlas probe or to access the data. You don't have to become a member. So to a large extent, the services the RIPE NCC provides are for you know, the wider internet and not just for its members. You mentioned RIPE meetings there as one of the important services that the RIPE NCC provides and obviously bringing the community together at RIPE meetings and other events is vital to the cohesion of the RIPE community. But how have these events um, evolved? Yeah, as I said, I mean, earlier on there were just a handful of people. And then over the, over the years, the more networks got connected to the internet, you know, the more people ar- arrived also at the RIPE, the RIPE meetings. There used to be three meetings a year. We now come back to two meetings because there are so many other... I think the RIPE meetings were because we were so early on in the internet history. Um, it was the place to go for... I mean, obviously, IETF already existed and, and some other yeah. initiatives, but the RIPE community, especially in Europe, was at the... The, the first place where people came together and coordinated um, operations. Maybe that's also why we, for instance, have a DNS working group, um, even though DNS or names aren't really the scope of um, the RIPE NCC, but it is obviously part of network operations. Mm-hmm. So, um, But yeah, so over the years, the meeting has, has grown. Was, but I think one important aspect of the RIPE meetings is, is to get to know each other. I mean, it's the social aspect of the meetings. Yeah. And that was really v- obvious in the during the pandemic, you know, I, for instance, I started as a RIPE chair in 2020, right at the beginning or, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. And so the first meetings we were organizing were all online. And luckily, I mean, the RIPE NCC quite quickly found a fantastic online platform, um, Meet Echo, that we've been using ever since. And so we continued having these online meetings, even though we couldn't meet each other. Um, we didn't just stop. But you know, I was thinking, you know, with the next online meeting coming around, saying, oh my God, if this is going to go on for much longer, um, we have a hard time um, as a community to, you know, to stay together and to, to actually be a community. And even worse, for newcomers, you know, how do you 
you know, how, how do you get to know each other and how do you build relationships with each other on a screen? You know? Yeah. As I said earlier, the whole community is also based on trust and that had a great advantages. Network operators, you know, as I said, helped each other out in data centers, but that only worked because they knew each other and they can trust each other and they have built these relationships over the years. And if you can't meet, it's really hard to engage and to come into a new community when you can't meet. So even though people go like, yeah, but you got the internet, you know, you don't have to meet, but that really is also the function of, of these meetings is to build these relationships. That's and interesting though, isn't it? Because I think there's also the fact that being part of the community does depend a lot on forming these relationships. Um, I think that can sometimes be a bit of a barrier to those newcomers as well, right? As you walk in, it can be kind of hard to maybe enter in. And that's um, it's almost a bit sad, you know, especially since I'm the vibe chair. I mean, one of my missions really is to really make that, that we're, we're open yeah, and approachable yeah. and accessible. And, and we're doing quite a number of initiatives and, you know, like reaching out to students, having like cheap student tickets or even free student tickets, um, mentorship programs, you know, fellowship programs, even childcare that allows people to participate. Um, but you're right, you know, it can be daunting when you come into a new, new um, community. I mean, I still remember this when I was thrown. I mean, for me, it was more like the, the first ITF meetings I was like um, thrown into and I felt like, you know, yeah. kind of new to like all these gurus that I they heard, heard their names of, but then all of a sudden I, you know, got to know them personally. Um, so... I, I, we're trying to be approachable. So and I remember the last meeting we had in Berlin, you know, like after th three, four meetings, we mm. only were online. Yeah. Everybody was just so happy to see each other. Yeah. And, and of course, people were happy to see old friends, you know. But on the other hand, I think we also had a lot of newcomers at the meetings. And I spoke to many of them. And they really felt this energy and this community and it was a great meeting it was in Berlin it was you know after the pandemic and everybody happy to, to be together um, but I really hope that newcomers don't feel you know left out and and I heard from some that they really enjoyed it and they want to come back and um, I mean that's great that's what, what we need. How would you say the RIBE community has responded to the to the impact of the war in Ukraine? Um, traditionally, the RIPE community, you know, covers all these regions. I mean, basically, um, quite early on, the, the earlier RIPE community, especially Rob Bloxel, I mentioned earlier, the first chair, he had great ties with operators in the Soviet Union at the time. Okay. And so that's how traditionally also the Soviet Union and operations and operators and, and universities from um, Soviet Union states um, felt part of the RIPE community. Mm -hmm. And then after the Soviet Union broke up, you know, obviously the countries in the region like Russia, Ukraine, Central Asia, um, they kind of stuck with the RIPE community, um, even though they also built their own regional um, um, coordination groups, um, like okay. ENOC, for instance, the, Europe, the Eurasian Network Operators Group. Mm -hmm. um, but Enoch um, kind of split up or was halted uh, right after the war started. However, the RIPE community, I think, still provides this plat. I mean, at least that's the mis our mission also, to provide a neutral platform for operators to come together. So we have people from Russia and Ukraine come to the meetings and participate. And so far, um, from what I heard at least, um, that's going well. You know, mm. We were re con concerned, especially at the Berlin meeting, because it's also kind of closer to the to the borders and to Poland and to Ukraine. Maybe there were tensions and emotions and certainly, you know, it is emotional obviously, but 
I think with the mission of run, keeping the network running, people just came together and continued to collaborate, um, even though they are from countries that are in war with each other. That's really hard, and we will, we continue to keep an eye on that. And for instance, at the next RIPE meeting in Belgrade, there will be a BOF um, organized to talk about the future of this Enoch um, read, uh, community in the, you know, that was kind of halted. And so, you know, how do operators deal with this and how can they continue to collaborate with each other in the future? And then there's also a new regional meeting coming up, the CAPF1 meeting. Yes, um, yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, Central Asia, um, I think, has a need to... Um, um, to do more regional um, collaboration and also, but I really hope also that the um, th the operators in Central Asia are f to feel part of the ripe community or ripe family, if you will. But I think that, that the um, maybe that's also interesting to see over the over time that there are more regional and national initiatives. I mean, we had in, you know earlier on we have like ripe as the as the overarching kind of regional network operators group for all of Europe, Central Asia, mm. you know, Russia, Middle East. But then over time, then we have now, we have the Middle Eastern um, group, we have a Southeast European group, we have, um, you know, the, the Central Asian group. And then even more so, we have a lot national, a lot of these national NOGs these days. Like in, in a lot of the countries in our regions, we have like German NOG, you know, UK NOG, mm -hmm. um, Italian NOG. And, and I think that's a great development, actually, to... Um, it's almost like we have the you know, vibe kind of reached its fingers out, and um, yeah. and obviously every country has its own like circumstances and conditions and and challenges, and and they are all being handled in in, in these national or local nogs. But still, there's a, a big tie back to the ripe, to the larger ripe community. And mm. we love to hear from these national and local initiatives. Like, for instance, in coming up in Belgrade at the next ripe meeting, there will be a lot of local content also and people coming from talking about their, you know, how are we going to set up an exchange point? How are we going to set up a NOG, you know, in, in countries? What are our challenges? How do we work with governments? And how can we learn from others who have done it before? Yeah. So that made it more complex, you know, the whole community collaboration, but also a lot richer, I think. And, and you, when you were uh, doing Ripe Labs, were really helping to provide resources to help people set up these groups. The yeah, and that's actually when you ask about like, what does the WebNCC do for the good of the internet, I mean, that's another huge um, um, activity, I think, where the WebNCC is supporting the local NOGs, not only financially, but also with content and sending people there. Yeah. But then also, as well as setting that up, there's also a point where you want to let it run on its own after Absolutely. a while. Absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. That's very much the case with... There's a lot of more established nogs now. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. When you're talking about uh, geopolitical um, challenges and things like that, they're from the outside of the community. I don't know if you want to jump into some of the challenges that are more specific to the internet that mm. we're facing today and how ripes dealing yeah. with them. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, that's really something that concerns us. I, th I think. I mean, everybody's talking about the. Um, increased consolidation and centralization for instance of the internet you know is the, the internet looks a lot different than it used mm. to be like 10 years ago what's an isp you know is an isp is your isp still providing dns and mail service to you is that even possible can they you know or they're outsourcing everything are we keeping the the, the knowledge and the expertise in in-house, if you will, you know, within the network operators group, or is it all outsourced into cloud providers and, and large large corporations? And that's definitely a discussion um, we're having. I mean, the change of the internet and how 
what does network operations actually mean um, today or or in our service provision? Um, I'm just posing these as questions here, and obviously I don't have all the answers, obviously. And and another challenge maybe related to that is also governments now starting to uh, look at, you know, possibly regulating large corporations or large platforms, and how do we make sure that they, then by doing that and trying to do a good thing, not destroying, you know, the, the infrastructure and, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater at the yep. same time. So we have to um, strengthen also our relationships with with regulators and, and, and governments and and um I know a lot of people, you know, we often hear we have to educate the government so that they understand how the internet works. And and that's certainly true to a certain extent, I think. At, mm. But on the other hand, um you know, do we need to get educated about public policy making? I think we also need to respect each other's expertise and experience and, and work together, you know, with all the stakeholders that, that there are. And, and of course, the governments are a huge stakeholder these days. I mean, they have a huge interest in the stable internet. Mm -hmm. But therefore, I think um, it's good if they come, for instance, to the right community and they just pick up the phone or come to the meetings you know and and ask you know, what would you know would we break anything with a certain like directive or and and again the ripe ncc is doing a great job there in in facilitating that there's one working group in the ripe community the cooperation working group um that's um, been set up many years ago i think when we started to realize that governments um, you know, have an interest in the internet, and we can't just kind of keep them out and say, "Oh, this is technical." You know, don't, don't, don't mess with us. Um, and then early on, we would say, "Like, well, the meetings are open; just come and participate." But yeah, that's not how governments work. So we, we, we then decided to create this almost like a safe space where the technical community and government representatives, law enforcement, you know, regulators can come and and again, like, build relationships and start to trust each other more and share their concerns and. And, and explain, you know, new proposals to each other. And yeah. they've done a great job over the last few years in the VIBE community. In the previous episode, we talked to Kieran McCarthy, who argues that the uh, I-Star organizations, and that includes the RIRs, like the VIBE NCC, um, but also other bodies like ICANN and the ITF, these organizations uh, are risking failing to meet new challenges for the internet if they don't address certain problems in the way they currently operate. Having listened to that episode, what, what's your take on those arguments that, that Kieran raises? Yeah, no, I think one point he's making um, about the, uh, I think we touched a little bit on that, on the, our principles, right? Mm -hmm. That you may be, uh, may be good to further formalize and solidify our um, principles and ethics. I think he's also talking about ethics and how we operate. And, and as I said, you know, we're already doing this to a certain extent in the VIBE community ourselves, but um, but it's definitely worth collaborating and cooperating with the other ISTA organizations, maybe intensifying that. And we've always done that traditionally. You know, we are like sister organizations, if you will. But from an outside point view, um, I, I can see that maybe we need to intensify that. And it's not always clear who's responsible for what. And so coming out with a one voice or with a, uh, some agreed messaging would definitely um, help. And one thing that struck me also is that we're not really good at promoting ourselves, mm. right? And we're all engineers. I think that's also one point that the Kieran is, is making. You know, we all just kind of want to get things done. And um, and and but on the other hand, we have such 
great success stories. Like, for instance, when we talked about the pandemic, you know, is, um, is, uh, is where the internet just kind of kept running and we just kind of find this naturally because operators just did their job and they you know, provisioned um, for emergencies and emergency yeah. happened and it just kind of kept running. But um, um, we're not so good at, at marketing and promoting and, um, and luckily the NCC is doing a bit of, of that for us. But, um, but looking at it from the outside and maybe that's one thing we, we, we could do better. Um, to explain, you know, why things work the way they are. And, and another good example is the internet situation in Ukraine. You know, I mean, we're talking about Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. It's amazing that there is still internet in, in Ukraine. I mean, just yesterday, I think on the news, they were saying, well, since the bombings were happening again, and kids just stayed home and they, they switched over to online schooling. And it's like, just like that. You know, we didn't even stop and think, like, does this even still work? No, because... The internet still works in Ukraine, and also thanks to a very decentralized infrastructure. They're like, what is it, 17 exchange points and hundreds of, of um, ISPs. I think you had an episode on yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah, um, episode, yeah. And, and everybody has their own little market share. And I mean, of course, it's also thanks to amazing work that the operators are doing on the ground, just quickly f trying to fix things when they break. Mm -hmm. But um, also thanks to the way this infrastructure is decentralized. And maybe that's also reflected in the way the I-Star organizations or the internet, you know, the administration of the internet works. It's because we all, you know, everybody has their expertise and it's kind of a, just the same decentralized way. Um, so I'm not sure if like a, like, I don't know, like a central body would, would help in, in that respect. Okay. But a... Uh, co more, you know, collaboration or intensifying or uh, clarifying the interfaces that are between all these organizations. Um, I think there's definitely something, something to it. And um, certainly, if we're going to speak to the outside or if we want to attract um, the new generation mm. I mean, to clarify that. But maybe one other thing also is, um, I think somebody mentioned also, we all these ISA organizations. Um, are doing a lot of kind of navel gazing and, 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 and looking at our own processes and are we just tweaking, you know, existing uh, solutions or are we actually coming up with new decisions and new solutions? And I think we're doing a bit of both and, and to a certain extent, like um, questioning ourselves or a bit of navel gazing isn't, isn't wrong from time to time. Yeah. Okay. And as I said earlier, even only the fact that we exist and that this collaboration happens um, and that we can fall back onto the the relations that we have and the trust that we've built over the years uh, helps keep the internet stable and and secure. So, okay, yeah, and and then that other um, point about kind of participation and making sure that new people with new ideas about, for example, like you said, right at the start of the conversation about what should the working groups be focus, focusing yeah. on and, and getting that input. That's obviously something that you're very uh, passionate about as right chair. No, that's important, I think. And there was one, one point also that, that came out, I think, in your uh, last episode is that we, we, can, you know, we can't just do lip service and say we are open to, you know, we, we are open and everybody can participate. No, we also need to listen to new participants. Mm -hmm. And if they come with um, problems or issues or challenges that they think should be solved, um, within the scope of network operations in general, um, we, we need to listen to that. Um, does that mean we need to branch out into technologies that maybe are already taken care of in other forums or, you know, that there were already other groups? Maybe not. Maybe we need to actually really make sure we know who's responsible for what and, and, and clarifying that a bit more. Yeah, okay. And, and then there is also, we've touched on it a couple of times as the, the kind of old guard does begin to retire, 
and new voices are coming in, you have to pass the torch there. And But I think we've seen some of that already. When I go to our meetings, I feel like we're already seeing that. I'm thinking of... People like Francisca, PC chair now, yeah. right? So, yeah, Francisca Lichtblau. No, Francisca, for instance, she started as a academic fellow at the YC program that the WIPE NCC is supporting, like to get students into the WIPE community. She started out as a fellow, then she started coming back. She had a, she still has a great academic career, you know, did her PhD and still involved in the WIPE community and is now the PC, the, the chair of the program committee. And that, that's a great success um, story. I mean, she probably thinks of herself now as one of the oldies too, but um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, there are other sure. examples like like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the next Ripe meeting kicks off now. Um, what are you most looking forward to at Ripe eighty five? Yeah, I mean, first it's great that we were able to meet again. You know, after we had the first physical meeting again in Berlin, now we're mm -hmm. moving. Um, you know, going to to Serbia to Belgrade. Um, I, I'm looking. I've looked at the program, and the program committee has done a great job. I think there's a really interesting program, and also with a lot of local content, okay. which is really interesting. And I, I was, you know, pushing for that also. And I was trying to um, encourage people to submit content. And there is a like a panel on like the early internet days in in Yugoslavia and mm. Serbia, and and um, maybe one. Worth, worth, you know, mentioning also the fact that we're actually going to Serbia, raise some questions at the beginning. You now, is this really a safe place? You know, especially now since the war in Ukraine, uh, how you know how Serbia stands in that. Um, and we thought about this long and hard, and we felt it's important to um, to support also the community in in Serbia. And we're trying to move around and not just stick in Western to Western Europe, and. I think it already pays out, pays off um, by looking at the attendees list and also looking at who's, for instance, applying for um, meeting fellowships because it's a non-Schengen country. Mm. And yeah. we're really seeing a lot more participation from people um, that have a hard time going into coming to meetings in, 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 in Europe or in you know, Schengen Europe, if you will. And and that's a good good development. And we, as I said, we're having like seventy countries in our, you know, that ripe, you know, tries to cover. And um, yeah. and we're trying to move around. And so it's good that we're also going to countries outside Schengen. But it depends on the hosts, of course. So we need hosts, and maybe that's a. I don't yeah. know, a bit of a flag I can raise here. So we actually have a call for hosts for the next ripe meetings um, after. To, you know, ripe 87 and 88, which is like in two years' time. So mm -hmm. if people are interested in that, to bring the right meeting to their country, mm -hmm. happy to come. Thanks again to Miriam for such an interesting conversation and thank you for listening along. I really hope that this helps people get a better idea of the role that Right plays in the bigger internet ecosystem. And even if you already knew all about that, I hope you enjoyed hearing what Miriam had to say. As usual, there are links in the show notes, and I hope you'll tune in again over the next couple of episodes where we'll be talking about topics such as the internet in Central Asia and geolocation with RIPE IP mapping.